Hello and welcome. You're listening to the inaugural episode of the Safety and Health podcast by Safety and Health Practitioner. As I record this today from the comforts of my own kitchen, we are still very much in the midst of a global pandemic and the coronavirus outbreak has forced millions of workers into putting their regular routine behind them and setting up makeshift offices at home. That has brought with it a whole host of challenges, not least around health and wellbeing. According to the Office for National Statistics, around half of the UK's workforce already work from home, at least in part. In an age where work and life need to integrate much more successfully, remote working can be a wonderful thing, but it's also full of pitfalls for both managers and employees. There is no doubt that as well as the anxiety provoked by a potentially deadly virus and no toilet roll or pasta in the supermarket, in recent weeks we have also faced the very real fact that many workers would have been plunged into home working for the very first time, to speak nothing of the potential requirements for isolation. Some of those workers may have already experienced a day or so a week, but very few of them will have worked full-time from home and very few of their managers will have managed large teams in such situations. A report from the World Economic Forum in 2019 cited that 41% of remote workers reported high stress levels compared to just 25% of office workers. The WEF believes that being out of sight, out of mind and the tendency for managers to become increasingly task-focused and actually attempt to micromanage more than before was partly to blame. Conversely, in 2018, remote working was found to be associated with the higher workplace well-being and with the benefits of flexibility and autonomy. What we do know, though, is according to ACAS guidance, only suitable people should be offered the choice of regular remote working, with suitability not just about them as people, but also about their home setup. And yet we found ourselves forced to put everyone, suitable or not, into that boat in an environment which was already highly charged. The research on how to be a good home worker is mostly focused around entrepreneurs who are just accountable to themselves. The research on how to be a good manager of remote teams is sparse. To help you and your staff combat this, SHP, Barbary HS and The Healthy Work Company have produced an in-depth guide to home working which can be found by visiting www.shp.co.uk forward slash home dash working. I should caveat before we proceed that this interview was due to be released ahead of the naming of SHP's most influential person for 2020 at the Safety and Health Expo in September. But with this year's show being postponed until May 2021, and the SHP Awards been put back until December this year, we were keen to release it now. I'm your host, Ian Hart, and I'm going to take you back in time today to a visit I made to the House of Lords in November 2019. I was there, along with a large proportion of the highways sector, to hear the results of the Thriving at Work Mental Health Survey. The event was chaired by Carl Simons, Chief Health Safety and Security Officer at Thames Water, who co-authored the report produced on the back of the survey. Carl is a leading light in mental health in the workplace, but also the winner of SHP's Most Influential Person in Health and Safety for 2019, so it gave me a great opportunity to sit down with Carl inside the Hazards of Parliament's Jubilee Cafe and discuss what he'd been working on since winning the award. That was staggeringly emotional more than anything else. I mean, I think the reason is, you know, SHP is read by over 600,000 people globally and they are the people who will be voting. So to have that level of recognition from across my peer group globally is an absolutely immense accolade and it was hugely humbling to even get on the shortlist but to actually be told that you were the winner was just remarkable. And a lot of the nominations and votes that came in for you, obviously, were a key part of that was for your involvement and your work around mental health. 
what is it about mental health that you feel so passionately about and why you work so hard to, towards making it easier for, for workplaces to have their mental health? I've spent the best part of 30 years now dedicated to the preservation of life and from my first 13 years in Her Majesty's Armed Forces as a soldier, you know, serving in conflicts and seeing what happens to individuals post-conflict has never really left me and I think, you know, as I moved into the business world and industry, I knew I wanted to continue as protecting people so health and safety was a natural progression for me. But I think we've done a lot on safety and injury prevention over the years and it's always been in my mind that health should sit alongside safety as we prevent injuries as we prevent illness you know and i think the health and safety community has woken up to this now in a very big way and i'm seeing a huge drive and momentum around how we move this agenda forward within businesses and for me personally the work that I have watched us implement as a team across Thames Water collectively has been staggeringly impressive. From leadership to competency upskilling, the way we engage with people directly one-to-one or via seminars, conferences, social media, to the way we communicate across the organisation what's right and wrong. It has been an amazing journey and I've really thrived on it. And you talked about some of the work that you've been doing in November you were named the Best Mental Health Workplace Strategy at the This Can Happen Awards. What does that kind of recognition do for the company? Fabulous, you know, any awards ceremony is hugely advantageous to a company being recognised. I think the level of competition is what struck me. I mean there were some big organisations in there, Accenture, Lloyds, there were some huge players involved in that uh, in submitting and made the shortlist and I think for Thames to actually then be you know recognized as a sort of leader amongst those major employer peer groups is pretty impressive and you know I'm a, just a tiny small part of this I mean it all comes back to the people across the company that have made such a staggering difference through those conversations at the water cooler the conversations around the site plant and equipment you know, those are the real connections. And I think that's why generally we were awarded because of the way the entire company has embraced doing the right things, speaking up when things aren't right, and then also fixing and solving things. We've generally created a culture of care across Thames Water that is resonating with a lot of people. And hey, there's a lot of academics saying what you can and should do, right? But I like the fact that as a company, we're able to now share our learnings over the last five years, you know, and we're able to say, well, here's what a company is doing and here's what you perhaps could implement within your own organization. Here's the impact we're having in ours. And I think a lot of organizations are listening to that. The recognition is very beneficial to you and your staff and the wider reputation of the business. Does it have an impact on your customers at all? I hope so. I don't have any tangible evidence to say that it does, but I think what I can tell you is we regularly interact and engage with the 15 million customers that we serve across Thames Water. And, you know, in all our surveys that we've undertaken, our customers are more and more feeling like the organisation is getting better connected to them. And I'm under no illusion that whether you are one of my call centre 
agents on the phone speaking to a customer in distress or need or just needing a bit of advice or whether you're a frontline operational employee that's out knocking on the doors and reading meters or, or generally engaging with customers at their doorstep. The culture we create within the organization influences the behaviors of those individuals that we rely on day in, day out. So that is going to have a natural knock-on effect in terms of making sure that our people are in the right state of mind when they engage with those customers because they feel valued by the organization. And you've been quoted a lot, and we've spoken in the past about it for FHP, that you've seen a 78% reduction in work-related illness over the last five years. Can you just talk through some briefly some of the initiatives that you've put in place that have helped to achieve that? Achieving a 78% reduction in five years is absolutely staggering. But it comes as a result of a lot of hard work and energy by so many different people. And it starts at the boardroom. I've got a very engaged main board and a very engaged executive team. And those executives really do live and breathe, making sure that the mental health of their employees is valued at all times. So that leadership, and whether it's putting in place visits, we this year will do over a thousand senior management visits out onto sites and offices. So that's really key in terms of engagement, or whether it's writing it in board reports, the KPIs are monitored making sure that anybody off work as a result of illness, that's unacceptable as it is anybody off work as a result of injuries. Through to things like we have executive illness reviews. Again, you know, you are setting the tone that, hey, we need to make sure we learn from if we've harmed somebody and we need to make sure that before they come back into employment, we've taken steps to prevent a recurrence. So many employers don't put health alongside safety. They don't put injury alongside illness and they don't take the steps, first of all, to monitor and capture and identify when people are going off unwell as a result of work. But secondly, and more importantly, the preventative actions that are being put in place by their team managers to make sure that individual is not coming back into work in the same situation. So whilst Carl's main focus is on the preservation of life of his staff and customers, he does recognise that winning awards plays a big part in raising awareness and spreading the message of the importance of health and well-being in the workplace. It struck me how Carl felt that creating a good culture within an organisation influences the behaviour of his workforce and that, in turn, is reflected onto workers when they are interacting and engaging with customers. It also helps Carl and his team share their valuable messages and initiatives with other organisations that are willing to learn and improve their methods. After a quick break, we'll be back to the interview with Carl and asking him about the future. Let me take you back to the Houses of Parliament. As mentioned, this interview was recorded in November, shortly before the general election in the UK. Carl Simons had been a key advisor to Theresa May's administration on the subject of mental health in the workplace. So I started the second part of our interview by asking whether it was all back to square one after the election, now we had a new Conservative leader and administration in place. The great thing that I am seeing in Parliament at the minute is there's a cross-party consensus that mental health in business needs to be looked at. And it's interesting, I spoke at the Labour Party conference this year alongside Barbara Keeley, who's the uh, mental health shadow minister. And also I've spoken to Matt Hancock, who's the, the health minister at the minute within government. 
and the same appetite as Theresa May had, you know, speaking to Theresa and actually listening to her and how passionately she was an advocate for mental health within business and actually leaders standing up for what's right. I thought that was incredibly insightful, having a conversation with her over dinner. But I think regardless of which political party goes into power, the reality is this is a movement now that cannot be ignored and the same agenda will continue. And they've got to know that they can reach into business, speak to the professionals who are leading the major organisations and actually get that level of support, guidance and advice because the advice that they need is sat within the major employers, within the business community. We learn from the subcontracteurs that we employ and we actually help them. But I mean, all that advice and guidance is there no matter which organisation gets into power. And moving back to, uh, to Thames briefly, you've recently announced that you're going to have a link up with What Free Words, What Free Words is, and how you think it's going to be beneficial to you and your staff and how you're going to use it. The emergency services have already embraced this, and it's an initiative that's been in place for a while. At Thames, we've recently embraced it following any incident. I mean, the one thing we worry about is making sure the speed of the emergency services to be able to access those injured is super important, and that goes for any organisations. But, you know, when we got the address or postcode for a site, how many times I would drive around saying, well, this postcode wasn't quite right and I can't find the address. Well, the emergency services would be in the same boat. Now, you think in Thames, we've got 7,000 sites across our estate. And I want to make sure that not just the individuals, this is a personal protective opportunity that we can put an app on everybody's phone and they'll be able to click on it and know exactly where they were. It works offline, so it's great but also the sites and the offices can know the three words that allows the emergency services or whether it's on the road via the ambulances, fire engines or police or in the air via the air ambulance will be able to go exactly and straight away to the exact place of the front door and this is a three by three meter grid square across the world that has been mapped it's a fantastic initiative you must have a lot of workers at working at height and working lone workers as well, so perhaps it makes it easier for access to those sorts of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And the lone working community across Thames, we have thousands of lone workers and they all click in each day and we kind of know that the escalation is there should they not sign off that day through the phones that they have. But it would be able to link very simply onto the phone. And our digital team are already looking at, into this as to how we apply that in the emergency situation. It just automatically comes up that here's the what three words are where the last location was. So that'll be really powerful when it's implemented. And you're obviously a member of the SHP Advisory Board and a judge on the panel for SHP's Rising Stars and a big advocate of bringing through young, new talent, fresh ideas. And you're playing a key role in the two-day training that we're having for the winners from last year in January. Can you tell us briefly about what you've got in store for them and why it's so important that, that those young talent with ideas are coming through the profession? So super excited about the Rising Stars. The entire programme of taking those individuals who have been shining examples of best practice within their own organisation and then they get shortlisted and then we have the awards at the SHP Expo and then those individuals who are the winners we give them an opportunity to be able to mix with some of the most senior practitioners out on the health and safety community circuit and we're bringing them to the capital and we're going to get them all involved in a two-day training course. I'm going to lead day one and that will be really good because I've got a lot of my peers stacking up to be able to speak at that 
and it's all about how we link you know the challenges that we face in modern day society sharing our insights and our personal development as what we've been through as I mean most of directors within organizations and then actually allowing those individuals who are developing in their own profession and careers to ask us questions that they might not otherwise be able to do in terms of the volume of workload that everybody's got on nowadays. So it's a condensed, really good and engaging two-day that we've got in celebration of those individuals who are doing amazing things. So my advice to anybody that is out there and you're allowed to put yourself forward or you're allowed to put one of your peers forward or one of your direct reports, you know, if you've got somebody that you believe has been a real example a shining star of best practice within your organization or across your industry put them in for the rising stars awards next year in 2020 because these opportunities are amazing and they should be embraced by every organization looking at who their examples of great shining stars are and just finally um what does the next six 12 months look for for you obviously talked about the safer highways toolkit launching at the show in safety and health expo in may what else have you got coming up over the next few months that you're working on the water industry is really dynamic i've enjoyed working and meeting with my peers every quarter we have a connected community and we share best practice the water industries i would argue the best example of sharing the best practice i have seen and i've worked in oil gas minerals rail construction but the water industry is absolutely superb in terms of dropping those barriers and my peers across the leadership of all 18 water companies are all sharing on a regular basis and we're learning constantly we have created a learning environment nationally and that's what an industry and sector should do as we've now benchmarked against the thriving at work standards both the safer highways the highways industry and the water industry i mean who knows i'd love to benchmark other industry sectors so we get a number of sectors you know where we're able to see how they're doing because the the benchmarking survey on the health side is really good in terms of it doesn't just allow people to self-assess and show what they are doing but also any areas that they've got concerns that survey tool is enabling them to actually showing them where to go to get advice and support but in a very simple and meaningful way on the safety side we will have a continued evolution of making sure we embrace new ideas and initiatives that protect our people working across our estate. So I think for me personally, more of the same. I've had a crack in 2019. It's been absolutely a stellar year for me. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I love connecting externally as much as I love influencing internally. So more of the same, Ian. I'd like to thank Carl Simons for his time and Thames Water for making this interview possible. Also thanks to Safer Highways for the invitation and to the staff at the Houses of Parliament for allowing me to record within the building. Thank you to you as well for listening. Coming next we'll be talking about burnout. What actually is burnout? Classic symptoms to look for and some steps on how to prevent it. In the meantime, stay tuned to shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news. We also have the latest advice for employers on how to deal with coronavirus and, as mentioned at the start, an in-depth guide into working from home and managing teams remotely. Thank you very much for listening and see you on the next episode.